Good morning, my friends. It is a joy to be together this morning to come to this fourth week in Advent where we have been journeying together and considering what it means to join God in the conspiracy of bringing hope and peace and joy and love into our lives and into the lives of the people who are around us. It is a conspiracy, friends, because it's not the way that the world would have it. It's not the way that the world has set it up. It's the work of God within the world that brings those good things, that fullness of life, into not only our lives and into not only our church, but into the whole globe. So thank you for joining in this conspiracy. The last four weeks, look, we only got like two more days before Christmas is here. Two more days of waiting. Hey, did I hear a whoop whoop? Here we go. Two more days of waiting and expecting. But friends, I think sometimes the waiting is less important than the expecting. Sometimes we can wait and not know what we're waiting for. We're pretty good at standing in line for some people. But the truth is that expecting that something good is coming, that's harder to do because we don't want to be let down. That requires vulnerability. That's what we're talking about today. So we're going to jump in. Luke 1, verses 39 through 45. Now, when we come into our scripture passage for today, we're going to be seeing just a little picture between Elizabeth and Mary. But a lot has happened before this. So before this happened, Elizabeth, who had been waiting to have a child for her whole entire life, she's married to one of the high priests, his name's Zechariah, They are told that they are going to have a baby. Zechariah sort of messes it up. He's silent. He can't tell anyone about it. God was saying, no, no talking for you. So Zechariah is not talking, which means Elizabeth is carrying a whole bunch on her own. This is all happening. She's having to explain the fact that she is an older woman. She's beyond the age that she should really be having children. She's having this child. Zechariah is nowhere to, no help really in that part of it. And then last week, we talked about where there's, there's Mary. She's already been met by the angel Gabriel. So when we come into this passage for today, the angel Gabriel has already shown up, has already said, you know, you're, you rock, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, what? Those two things don't necessarily make sense. And then we come here. Okay? So last week, we talked about Gabriel and Mary, and we talked about the Magnificat, but we left this piece out. This piece comes in the middle. Okay? Are we all on the same page? Yes. Good. All right. Let's jump in. Uh, Luke 1, 39 through 45. At that time that the angel had left Mary, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary sings that beautiful song that we talked about yesterday. Friend, or yesterday, <laughs> last week. Friends, let's, uh, let's bow our, our heads and our hearts in prayer and focus on trying to create that space within, uh, within us in this busy season to engage in the fullness of God's action. 
Almighty God, we are grateful for this moment today. As the excitement of Christmas comes close, we pray, God, that you will continue to work within us that action of waiting and even more, that action of expecting. We pray, God, that you will show us how we can trust you to bring into the world those good things that hope and that peace, the joy and the love that we long for in our lives that so often eludes us. We pray, God, that as we come and continue in worship today, that we will be completely open to you, that we will push out the distractions, that we will deny them our attention, that we will stop with the to-do lists, that we will just for a few minutes suppress the worries or the fears or anxieties that threaten to Bubble up to the top and overcome us. God, please help help us to preserve this space now only for you. We are not perfect. We don't have it all together. No matter how often we try to convince ourselves or others that we do, you know exactly who we are. In that perfect knowledge, God, please draw us into your arms and show us what it means to be a people who are created in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the last four weeks, we've been talking about some really purposeful and meaningful things in the season of Advent, in the season of waiting and expecting for God to show up in our lives and in the world. We've talked about hope and worshiping fully. We've talked about peace and spending less. We've talked about joy and giving more. And today, which is our last Sunday before Christmas, which is now only days away, we're talking about love and loving all. And out of all the things that we have talked about in this Advent conspiracy, and out of all the things that we ever talk about as Christians, love and biblical instruction to love is by far the most significant, the most integral part of what it means to be a Christian, to have a relationship with God, to be a person of the way. 1 John 4 sums all of this up for us, and I want you to listen to this scripture passage from the message. Just listen. It says this, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, Love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we are free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical in Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one that is not fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. God loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, then he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, then how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ 
is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. That's pretty straightforward, don't you think? It's a theological truth that is so simple, but my friends, it is not easy. (laughs) Whenever we are practicing love, engaging in loving thoughts and words and actions, we are acting in line with God's character. And when we are not practicing love, then we're not. Then we're not in line with God. It is simple and it is true, but it is not easy. If God is love, which scripture says God is, then any time that our thoughts or our words or our actions are not deeply rooted in love, we are acting apart from God. Whenever God is active and moving in our lives or in the world or in the lives of people around us, whenever God is active and moving, love will be there also. If there's no love present, then it's not God's way that's being followed. It's not God's character that's being honored. We cannot separate love from God. We cannot separate God from love. It can't be done. God is love. It's really simple. Which then leaves us with the question, right? Why don't we do it? Harry Gage addressed this really well in our Advent video for today. Loving all often gets in the way of our own innate drive to preserve ourselves. To preserve ourselves from rejection to preserve ourselves from sharing our resources, to preserve ourselves from appearing vulnerable and weak. It's crazy that our desire to preserve ourselves still remains so strong within us, even as we profess to follow the God who did not preserve his self, even to the point of death. But Harry was right all the same. We don't love all, because love might ask us to sacrifice our self-preservation for the good of someone else. Now, that said, and more often than not, I think that we don't love all because of something that we saw Eugene Tsai say in our video for today. I think it's much easier than self-preservation. I think, more often than not, we don't love all because we don't want to. Some people are really hard to love. They probably, you probably have some of those people in your family that are going to be sitting across from you at that Christmas table in two days, am I right? Yeah. Some people are really hard to love. Some people are really difficult. And when we consider the limited time and attention and emotional energy that we have in a day or in a week or in a lifetime, we convince ourselves that it's not worth wasting it on people who we don't deem to be worthy of it. Ultimately, I really think that it comes down to this. The simple reason why we don't love all is because we don't want to. Now, the challenge with that is that God doesn't give us not wanting to as an option. God doesn't give us an out. God doesn't allow us an excuse or a pass from loving people and from loving everyone. God doesn't think that the way that that person chews in that annoying way is a good reason for you not to love them. 
He doesn't think that the reason that, that the way that that person cut you off and didn't use their blinker is a reason not to love them. God doesn't think that there are good excuses that excuse you from loving someone else. I talk about this a lot as a parent, and many of you probably do too. Raise your hand if you talk to your kids or have done at one point in time about how they have to love other people. I know it's more than that. You guys are good people. Come on now. There we go. I talk about it a lot as a parent when my kids do something or they say something that is unloving. And the conversation usually goes like this. They usually justify their behavior as a reasonable reaction to something that someone else did to them. She laughed at me, so I kicked her. Totally reasonable, or something along those lines. And when I say to them that their reaction was unreasonable, oh, do they get so mad? then they have a reason to do something mean to me, right? It's an eye for an eye. It's a tooth for a tooth. It's something that even though we know is no longer the law, we sure adhere to it as the law. Ultimately, though, it always comes down to this with my kids. Regardless of what they did to you, who is it that you want to be? They might have laughed at you. They might have insulted you. They might have swiped at you. But those actions only show us who they are. The question still remains, who is it that you want to be? Particularly in the face of the bad behavior of someone else. Do you want to be a person who finds a way to love when no one else around you is? Because if you do, then God will be with you in finding a way. And if you don't, then you're stuck with yourself. And I think it's really important for my children and for me and for all of us to think about how our own actions stand alone Rather than seeing what we do or what we say as a justifiable reaction to someone else. Because if we can recognize that we have the power to act in love, regardless of the circumstances, then we can embrace our identities fully as agents of God's transformative love in the world. If we can see ourselves as people who are not confined to constantly reacting to the people and circumstances around us, we can fully embrace God's identity as an ambassador of love in the world. Now, I think Elizabeth and Mary are a really good example of this. I will tell you, I have read the story of Elizabeth and Mary hundreds of times. But the story about these two women really took on a new light for me about a decade ago when I was a new mother. Because around the time that I had my children, that was about the time that the mommy wars really took off. Does anyone know what I'm talking about with the mommy wars? Okay, yeah. There was this big boom in mommy blogs and mommy vlogs 
and mommy Instagram accounts and mommy YouTube channels. And it was also about the time that Pinterest came out and became a thing. And if you are a mom with a school-aged child, Pinterest is either your greatest joy or your worst nightmare. Sign me up for the latter. There's always this new argument to defend yourself from in the mommy wars. Do you do attachment parenting or do you ferberize your children? Which sounds funny. Do you nurse or bottle feed? Do you work or do you stay at home? The natural insecurity that arises from the fear of moms not knowing what the heck we are supposed to be doing gives rise to these petty competitions and arguments. And so while I had my children around the time that social media was making these mommy wars a public thing, I know that it was only accelerating conversations that had been going on from generation to generation. These weren't new conversations. They were just louder, and they were in my pocket on my cell phone. I don't think that those mommy wars weren't happening in the time of Mary and Elizabeth, I think that those same kinds of conversations were going on back then. And so I want us to go back over the facts of that story between Mary and Elizabeth. Because Mary is an unwed teenager from a blue-collar town with no thoughts of having a baby on the horizon, who journeys to her cousin's house in the hill country of Judea after finding out that she is miraculously pregnant with Jesus. Mary's cousin Elizabeth is the respected wife of the respected priest Zechariah. Both of them were seen as blameless and righteousness and righteous in God's sight. Scripture says that. And Elizabeth herself has experienced this extraordinary miracle. She's now six months pregnant with a child that she has waited to conceive for the vast majority of her life. And then along comes Mary. Elizabeth is esteemed and respected. Mary is young and unknown. Elizabeth has longed for her baby, whereas Mary questioned God about why she should have a baby at all. Elizabeth was six months pregnant and no doubt proud and glowing and hoping that everyone would be glowing with her, rejoicing in this long-awaited child. Whereas Mary wasn't even, wasn't even showing yet and was already wondering about the uncertain future that was lying ahead of her. But rather than Mary begging for Elizabeth's help to either cope or cover up and rather than Elizabeth giving in to jealousy or competition, about her unmarried youthful cousin who got pregnant without even wanting to after, after Elizabeth herself had begged for a child for years, rather than giving in to the worst, they chose to honor love. Elizabeth chooses instead of indulging that competition She chooses instead to indulge the quiet, small voice inside that dared to say in the midst of what was an apparent scandal, an unwed woman was pregnant. In the face of that, she dared to say something truly extraordinary was happening in the midst of this extraordinary, messy confusion. Mary chose to go to her cousin for help and receive her words of support instead of trying to hide away 
or defend herself or protect herself against the people she thought would judge her, people that Elizabeth was probably friends with. They chose to be in community when it would have been safer for them to have gone it alone. In the middle of what I do not doubt were competing emotions within both women Elizabeth chose to affirm the love of God. And I really want us to look closely at this scripture right here. Because if we look at the way that the passage is laid out, we see that Elizabeth's choice to affirm the love of God does really transform Mary and her situation. Friends, it is only after Elizabeth validates Mary, affirms Mary, encourages and rallies around and rejoices with Mary, It is only after all of that that Mary's able to sing the Magnificat. She wasn't rejoicing in the same way before she saw Elizabeth. Elizabeth's love transformed her desperate situation into a situation of joy and hope and embracing God's magnificence for her. While God's gift of Mary's child was a great blessing to all of humanity throughout all of time, there's another great act of love in this exchange, and it is with Elizabeth to Mary. It was through Elizabeth's validation of Mary's complicated circumstances, through her affirmation of those circumstances being a blessing, through her affirmation that Mary was one of God's favorite children, through her hope that God's promises would be fully realized in Mary's life and Mary's situation. It was through all of that that Mary herself was transformed from a woman who was characterized by scandal and confusion into a woman who is now and forever has been and will be characterized by blessing. But Elizabeth was the one who got her to see that. It was Elizabeth's love that changed Mary and changed her situation for all of us. And of course it did, right? We shouldn't be surprised by that because that's what love does. Love transforms people and love transforms situations. We say it all the time. And my friends, that is why it is important for us to love all in each face that we meet in each circumstance that we encounter, because loving others is the same as engaging actively in God's character. And when God is on the loose, when God's character is allowed to thrive, then there is nothing that is safe from being transformed. There is no hopeless situation. There is no desperate person that is safe from the transformative touch of God's love if God's love can just be presented to them. Jenny Jones loaned me this book this week. It had an essay that Henry Nouwen had written in it. And Henry Nouwen says this. He says, The visit of Elizabeth and Mary is one of the Bible's most beautiful expressions of what it means to form community, to be together, gathered around a promise, affirming that something is really happening. And my friends, ain't that the truth? 
Because that is exactly what love calls us to do today, particularly in this season of Advent waiting and Advent expecting of awaiting for an arrival of a transformation here on earth. To gather together in the vulnerability that love demands, to deny that instinct of self-preservation in all of its forms so that we can affirm together that love is dynamic. That it is active. And that it is still capable of bringing life and light into the dark caverns of death that welcome us at every corner on this earth. Love calls us together with those whom we like and with those whom nobody likes to affirm that God is love. And where love is, there God is. Which only leaves us the question, do we want to be where God is? Do we want to experience the fullness of God's love? Do we want to be ambassadors of that new kingdom that we await for in just a couple of days? If we do, it's simple, but it's not easy. If you will, please join me as we pray. Almighty God, we pray out of knowing ourselves and how fickle we can be, knowing how we often have the best of intentions and we often have the weakest of dispositions. We know the right answers, but we excuse ourselves from the hard work. And so we pray, God, that in the midst of this season of waiting and expecting, we pray that your spirit will fill our hearts, will fill this building and this space with your courage and your conviction. Show to us those people in our lives that we are not loving, that we are excusing ourselves from loving. Show us the situations in our lives that we are so dug into with competition or with resentment that we cannot see ourselves as active agents of love. Show us how we can be people who Embrace our identity as those who are loved first. Love so much that you did not preserve yourself. Love so much that you gave all. That we too could be a people who could give without the fear of being burned out, without the fear of being broken even more. Show us how your love makes us whole. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.